Hello and welcome to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, who will be interviewing David Michael today. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, he is from New York City. And first, we have some a uh, little bit of, of a story. I think you guys are following the story about my son. He broke his leg a few weeks ago, uh, actually about a week and a half ago, and everything was great. He, you know, the ambulance ride was the ambulance showed up. The ambulance ride was good. He got um, great care in the hospital, and of course, you guys kind of know our story with. Um, how I wrote a book called Thickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And, of course, you can go to Amazon, and that is available on Kindle. Go to Amazon and download that book. It is only $2.99, and it is well worth your time. It's only 120 pages or so. You can read it in a couple hours, and it will really give you some insight about some solutions into um, our expensive healthcare system and put you in charge, um, put consumers in charge. There's a six-step solution on how to fix healthcare, and guess what? It does not involve the government, okay? It involves you taking charge and doctors taking charge. So um, Amazon, Kindle, uh, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare, and How to Fix It. So I was surprised we got the hospital bill so soon. Um, Usually it can take weeks or even months and so i was impressed with that that's good um here's the first thing i remind you guys when it comes to hospital bills okay first of all a little bit more about our history janet and i do not have traditional health care insurance we don't believe in it i honestly believe it is a scam i honestly believe it is a ripoff i honestly believe it is what makes health care expensive okay so i don't believe in it i have something different we have christian health care ministries there's a lot of health sharing ministries out there. There's some that are not faith-based anymore. Um, one of those is New Health, K-N-E-W Health. Um, and they were on our radio show a few weeks back and talked about their how you can save money over tr- traditional health insurance and take charge of your own health. You choose your doctor. You choose the hospital. So we get to choose all that. Um, and one of the beauties of that is we get to go – to the hospital and doctor that we decide that we want to go to. Now, obviously, it was kind of an emergency. It was late at night, and so we did not get much of a choice. But that does not mean that we don't have choice on payment. So I received the initial bill, and he got into the hospital about 6.30 into the ER, and he was released the next morning at about 9.30. And he was in surgery by about 10.30 and out by about 12.30. So he was in surgery for about two hours. The entire hospital bill, and somebody somebody kind of guessed. That's one thing about healthcare is you you never know how much it's going to cost. You just, it's so non-transparent, right? Because prices aren't posted. Or so we think. But prices can be posted. And um, I'll go into a price comparison here shortly. But anyway, the total bill was almost $41,000. He broke his left upper tibia, and it was a compound fracture, and they did have to put a plate with screws in it, okay? So I saw the bill, and the first thing I want to tell you guys as as consumers of healthcare is there is no fire. There is no rush. You do not have to pay that bill instantly, okay? Realize that traditional healthcare insurance, they don't pay the bill right away. They negotiate rates with the hospital, and they will nickel and dime the hospital for everything. As consumers, we can do the same thing, okay? 
and that's what I'm going to do. And I am going to show you the progress of this of this process over the next few weeks um, over on, on our radio show. I'll be posting some stuff on on Facebook also, some copy of some bills and some prices that I think are comparable to it. So speaking of that, um, speaking of prices being posted online and transparent, go to the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. WWW, well, I'm not sure. Google it. Surgery Center of Oklahoma. They have prices on their website about what a surgery will cost. So I go to the Surgery Center of Oklahoma's website, and I went in there for a fracture. And a tibia fracture with rotting, which is kind of the same thing as a plate. I'm not a doctor. Don't, I don't pose to be, but it's pretty, a pretty similar surgery. And I am actually in consultation with Dr. Keith Smith. The director of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, um, he's helped me go through this process. Their price for a rotting of a tibia, get this, $6,375. Hospital charge, $41,000. Yes, I get it. There's an ER charge in there. That was about $1,800. i am going to negotiate that down also. But $41,000. Versus 6375 there's got to be some leeway there. So stay tuned. Also, go to my Facebook. We are streaming live on my personal Facebook right now, um, Sean Needham, and on the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy's YouTube site. And, of course, you are listening to us at AM 1470 KBSN in Moses Lake, where we stream live mostly on Mondays, 1 to 2 p.m. But today, because of Memorial Day, we are streaming live on Tuesday. And speaking of Memorial Day, um, thank all the veterans for their service. We appreciate it. Without you guys, we would not have a radio station with free speech. So we really, really appreciate it. Um, thanks to all the veterans out there. So, um, so stay tuned um, for my progress of my son's my son's bill and again this is nothing personal against the hospital this is um all i want to do is i want to use this as a tool to educate consumers that um you know hospital bills are negotiable one of the first things that i'm asking for is an itemized bill i want a breakdown of all the stuff on there not just a generic bill for instance the or charge for two hours in the or was $24,000, $12,000 an hour in the OR. I think that's a little bit excessive. I am not. I am okay paying for high-quality care. It is my son, and I would do whatever it takes. But I also think that there needs to be some balance also. Quality care does not have to be expensive, okay? Um, and so, yeah, stay, tu- stay tuned, and we will update you on that, on that progress. And if anybody has any comments or questions... Um, you know, please let us know. Go to my Facebook, and make comments um, about this show, and about if you've had any if you've had any history of expensive hospital bills. You know, um, please share share that with us because it's it's important to know and it's important to let hospitals know these things so we can change the system. So, that being said, let's um, go ahead and get started with David. He is on the line. Like I said, he's out of out of New York, and he is from Cliffhanger Academy. And he is going to be talking about the um, psychology of fitness and, and some, some little tips about how to get the best results from fitness. So, David in New York, how are you? I'm doing well, Sean. Thanks for having me on. It's actually a finally summer is settling in here. It's about 80 degrees and sunny in New York, which is a big break for us. We've had a lot of rain and a lot of cold weather. 
So we're happy to be welcoming summer as well as hopefully a little bit of our city opening up. That is that is awesome. I think it's gonna. I think it's about eighty here also. Um, so and it's supposed to be ninety six by the end of the week or something like that. So that's uh, yeah, that's that's really cool. So <laughs> David, tell us a little bit about your history. You have a master's in psychology. You worked for a law firm first, and you, know, you played baseball. Tell us a little about your history. Uh, yes. So uh, for me, I kind of follow what I call the the Western blueprint. Um, <clears throat> I went to. Went to high school, you know, was uh, was one of the top recruited baseball players in New York State for high school. So then, of course, the next big step is you go to college. Uh, Division one scholarship athlete in college. Um, was going pre-med at first and, until I kind of found out about what psychology was all about. Um, and then my, my senior year, I blew up my knee, and no one wants a catcher with a bad knee, especially at 21 years old. So all the scouts stopped, stopped calling and all the camps stopped uh, inviting me. And so I had to figure out what the next thing was. And, of course, the Western blueprint says, go to grad school. So I go to grad school. Um, and then I actually finally fall in love with school. Uh, I, was, I was a good student in, in, um, in college, but I wasn't really passionate about it. And then I found this, this thing called um, litigation psychology that I became very passionate about. And so I dedicated the next 13 years of my life to becoming a litigation psychologist. Uh, which was amazing. I loved my job for a very long time. I loved my career. Uh, I was very good at it. It paid very well. And it, it, it set me up for all the dressings of what uh, Western society tells us that will make us happy. You know, get the title, get the bank account, get the, the six-figure salary, get the girl, get the car, get the corner office, you know, fame, fortune, all that great stuff. And then I realized uh, early on in my life, around 29, that that wasn't true that none of that stuff made me happy. I got to a point where I, I had all this stuff, um, but then the things that actually mattered to me started falling apart. So my grandmother got diagnosed with terminal cancer. She helped raise me. So she's like a mother figure to me. My parents were getting divorced, and the girl of my dreams, that, that relationship was falling apart. So that put me, uh, that started me on a journey um, to really understand what was important to me. And I ended up um, January 1st, 2010, so new month, new year, new decade, I quit my job, sold all my stuff. It would have been the height of my career as a litigation psychologist. Um, and I decided that I was going to go live in the mountains and then travel the world and volunteer, trying to help my friends' charity, uh, Hope for the Silent Voices, eradicate sex trafficking in, in Asia and, of course, in the U.S. I'm not sure how much more I can go on for a little bit longer, Sean. Not for how deep you want to go. Just start the rest of the no, that's a great that's a great story, and I'll bet you've got some really really interesting stories about how psychology of litigation. I'm sure that you helped a bunch of attorneys for sure because um, I've got a friend that's an attorney, and the psychology of somebody on the witness stand is so important. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's what we did. Um, we did things like that. Like I worked on, you know, multi-million, billion-dollar cases, a lot of cases that were, that, are, that were definitely in the public eye. Actually, I, just, I found out about maybe six, six months ago or so that I was actually famous. I'm on Netflix. Um, there's, a, <laughs> there's a documentary called The Staircase, um, which uh, if you guys have seen that, uh, it was a, a, a case. This was a while ago. I can talk about it now. So the first part of my career is I worked on capital murder cases, and I worked on the defense side. So I worked with the bad guys, um, the bad guys, we'll call them. And so um, the guy that I was working for, not going too much into it, uh, he was gonna—he was a, a world-renowned writer, 
um, got accused of killing his wife. It turns out he killed. He may have killed two people like in a similar fashion like this. We got brought down to North Carolina, and um, yeah, I'm on Netflix, one of the Netflix documentaries, for about five minutes. Uh, wow. So, yeah, I worked on some really, I worked on some really cool cases, like uh, you know some of the biggest racketeering cases in Washington D.C. This is where I started my career. Um, huge cases like Pepsi Company stuff in California and Texas, where corporations are really big. Um, you know, sent the priest to jail was one of my maybe my favorite cases that kind of warmed my heart. Um, a priest accused of sexual uh, abuse to a parishioner who was a boy, and we got him sent to jail. That was really cool. Uh, yeah, some, some really cool cases. Like I said, I, I love my career was amazing. I loved it for a very, very, very long time. You know, I wouldn't spend 13 years of my life doing it, but I realized that that wasn't my calling, um, and I, you know, I ended up uh, battling with depression. That's kind of what segued me into uh, creating the psychology fitness industry and now bringing this uh, clinically validated system that we've created uh, out to you know, the gold of a million people. That's awesome. I, I appreciate that story. I, I, love, I love a background like that. So, Janet, I'm going to let you take over and ask David some questions. Welcome to the show, David. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, so Thank I'm you, Janet. really curious um, because when I looked at your uh, site this morning before you came on the show, it had all kinds of motivational things for, for um, your followers, which I loved reading. But one of the things that I touched on is that the psychology of fitness is truly important because there's still such a problem in our country with cardiovascular disease and obesity. So tell us why you, uh, I know you have training in psychology, but tell us how that got joined together besides um, just you starting the company. I mean, how did you get to the point of, of where you are with um, your company. Yeah, so just a quick kind of um, semantic uh, uh, just to, to address. It's, it's not the psychology of fitness. It's actually psychology fitness. Um, psychology of fitness is already out there and it's been something that's been around for a while of why people kind of want to engage in exercise. This one is, this, is psychology fitness. So they're actually taking the best of both worlds and combining them, not letting them be this, like, disparate uh, industries that have existed on their own for a very, very long time. It's actually bringing them together because that our brain and body is connected right. uh, through the, the reticular activating system, the RAS, that, that set of neural pathways that runs on the front of the spine. Um, so, yeah, just, just to put that out there, just so everyone understands, because I want everyone to understand, like, what we're doing is, is something completely different than been out there. Um, and so, yes, uh, great question, Janet. So... This started, and this is kind of almost where I left off with the depression thing. So uh, I traveled the world for three years. Um, I, I tried to start what I thought was the first iteration of, of Cliffhanger Academy when I was living in, in Sydney, Australia. Um, and I tried to work with the uh, Aboriginal youth and giving them kind of a cathartic outlet in order to curb this, this, this behavior that they were kind of driven into because of the societal pressures and the way that the Australian government and things were set up for them. Where the average, just like our our native culture, um, they, the Aboriginal culture struggles with drug and alcohol addiction, um, and then of course uh, there is a lot a lot more that's going on. They don't have the, the correct public figures and the and their uh, role models, and so I started this. Uh, what I wanted to do is was grab the kids and put them in a Muay Thai program, which is Thai boxing, um, you know, kicking, punching, knees and elbows, 
and use that as a cathartic outlet for them, but also to start teaching them, you know, how to actually navigate these feelings that they have, but using fitness. And so that's why we call it psychology fitness. It's all about the mental part of it, but it's definitely a psychology first program. Awesome. Uh, David, hold that thought. We got to go to a commercial break. Um, Hold that thought. That's a good transition point. Hold that thought. And we'll be back in a couple minutes. Hello and welcome back to Health Solutions, where Sean and Janet Needham discuss everything healthcare. We are streaming live today, Tuesday, and um, also catch us live on every Thursday. We have added a second, a second episode, weekly episode, where on Thursday, 8 a.m. we stream live. So catch us there too. Always different topics. Also. Let, let just let you know we do archive these episodes on our podcast forums, iHeart, um, SoundCloud, um, iTunes, Google Playlist, all your favorite podcast episodes. You can catch us there too. So um, if you missed us the first uh, uh, segment, we have David Michael from Cliffhanger Academy out of New York City. He was talking about how he started his initial program um, with the Aboriginally group. Uh, David, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Um, so things that didn't work out with visas over there, so I came back to the U.S., and um, I was trying to transition careers at the time and really wasn't having my, you know, I was getting rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter until I got uh, asked to then take oh, what would be the um, my next, my, my, my still going back to my old career as a litigation psychologist to take over a company, a multimillion-dollar company, which would have been amazing. So, again, here I go again, back in the Western societal blueprint. Give me the money, the title, the job, all the things. I live in New York City, my own apartment, car, all the great things you want. And I actually fell into depression. And that's kind of where I started uh, Cliffhanger Academy for real, where I had a real why tied to it. Um, I'll never forget, it was a it was winter, about two years into my career. I was waiting on the train platform. Uh, and I remember just looking down the tracks. And, you know, everything's blanketed in white. And at that point, I was just so unhappy with everything. Uh, everything, I, I was, you know, completely now looking back amygdala-driven and didn't realize that how unhappy I really was, even though I had all the things that you'd possibly want. The car, the apartment, the girl, the salary, the title, the corner office, taking over a multimillion-dollar company, traveling the world, living in New York City, like incredible family who loves me, everything you could possibly think of you would want on paper. And then inside, I felt like I was this stoic individual from the outside, but I was hollow on the inside. And I remember I, I, was, I thought about taking my life that day and stepping just in front of the train and thinking how easy that would be to just end it all, end the suffering, end the pain that I've been going through for months at that point. Um, and then I started to just take into consideration. I, I, one, the reason why I didn't do it and the only reason why I do it is, is um, uh, because I wouldn't do that to my mother. That's the only reason that I didn't do it. That's a great uh, reason. Other than that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm an only child. I love my mother to death. I have one of the most incredible mothers in the world, um, and I just refuse to do that to her. Otherwise, I was completely fine with it. Um, and then I decided that, okay, you've got to take this seriously because something is really wrong with your brain, um, and let's rewire that thing. And so what I did is I took the you know, 20-plus years in psychology that I've been training in and about a decade plus in neuroscience and 25 years in in sports, particularly action sports and high-level sports, and I I started combining them to figure out some kind of system and way I could heal myself 
And then once I healed myself from the depression, um, I started doing this with friends and family uh, in my life and started seeing these huge breakthroughs of people, but particularly breakthroughs when we were using extreme sports because you have this kind of fear-inducing moments when you're out in the ocean or you're hanging off the side of a rock or you're, you're about to get punched in the face when you're playing Muay Thai. And your, your, your neurochemistry is completely different in these moments, these flow states that kick in. And I figured out a way, which we now call our sci-fi system, PSY-FI system, that if you follow these steps, boom, 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 you get this result over 98% of the time, and you have this clarity, this perspective, and, these, and now these tactics to actually tackle your problem, which like previous psychology and, and psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral psychology, all the stuff I believe in, and I believe in therapy and, and, and medication in the right instances, but it's not something you should be doing the rest of your life. Like, you should be doing, like, therapy only when you need it. And then you get to a place where you can sustain yourself. You have enough agency to do this on your own. And that's what Psychology Fitness started. And, and you know, that was um, about four years ago. We beta tested it for, I beta tested it for about a year and a half and then finally launched it. And now we've had almost 1,000 people come through the program. And wow. our effectiveness rate is, is north of 98%. Amazing. So I noticed that um, you have four P's in this program. So if you would dissect that and explain that to us, what, what the four P's uh, stand for in your program. Yes, absolutely. Um, so our four P's is what our sci-fi system consists of. Uh, the first P is problem, physiology, psychology, and then perspective. And then when you break that down, like, you know, the the basis of any change program, whether it's a 12-step program, whether it's someone you're going to, a therapist, what you're going to, even a doctor that you're dealing with, is identify the problem. you got to know what the hell you're dealing with first. Because you may think it's one thing, but after going into a deep dive, which is what we do as part of our session, it turns out it has nothing to do with the fact that your boss, you think your boss is, is like condemning you. It actually has to do with your, un, your feelings of unworthiness. So you got to identify the problem first. Next, we, we activate your physiology. So this is where the fun part comes in. One of our founding principles is that if it's not fun, we don't do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes. There's a behavior change and personal development and all that kind of stuff is hard enough. Like, we don't yeah. need any more hard things to take into our lives. Like, like as, as the Buddha said, life is suffering. Like, we got enough of that. Let's do some fun stuff and make this really, really fun. And so this is where we, we have our, our clients pick from, you know, either regular fitness, like a hit-and-fire workout, uh, Muay Thai, rock climbing, snowboarding, surfing, or Thai boxing. And we bring them through a really hard workout. And so in that workout, though, we're changing their physiology. So after a workout, we, we all feel better. It doesn't matter if it's a little a bit of a run or like a hardcore class. You feel better. Now, the reason you feel better is because from a neurochemical standpoint, you've just doped yourself up with serotonin, dopamine, anandamide, oxytocin, adrenaline, endorphins, and, and all these other, and a list of other ones. Right. So you feel amazing. So now your physiology has been effectively changed at a cellular level. And because of that physiological change, this is where the third P comes in, is your psychology has to change. Your brain is literally rewired from a neurochemical standpoint. Now, the good news and bad news of that is that you don't want to make a decision, I call it high. Like, you don't want to make a life-changing decision while you're all doped up on these neurochemicals. It's like you wouldn't want to if you were drunk or anything else. Right. So we got to have your perspective change. And this is where our breath work and meditation comes in. And once we go through that sequence, your perspective has now gone from, you know, fight or flight, super narrow, got the blinders on to this problem that we're trying to solve. 
to now your perspective is like 180 degrees, and now we have a chance to actually tackle this problem, see what it really is, take that physiological change in how your body and brain feel, uh, you know, effectively different than when you started, and then come up with tools and tactics that are based in hard science to overcome that frustration or challenge. So speaking of breath work, David, um, go into a little bit about the brain-body breath that you talk about. Yes. So I am, a, a, just like you guys, I'm a lover of science. I'm, I'm a psychologist. I'm a hard science guy. And so we call this our B3 methodology. Um, this is the brain, the body, and the breath. Now, all of us who are living and trying to perform at our highest level, we call on these three things together uh, all day, every day, to, to effectively perform at a high level together. Now, the problem is, is that the, we don't train the brain, the body, the breath together. We train them independently. You know, we train our brain, we go to work, we go to workshops, we sit in front of a computer, we read books, we're sedentary most of the time. We train our bodies by going to the gym, going on runs and stuff like that, and we typically want to tune out. That's kind of like our escape mechanism on a daily basis to go to the gym or go for a run and tune out. So your brain's not even involved at all. And then our breath is completely involuntary, so most of us don't even think about it. So my contention is how can you call on three things to perform at a high level together when you train them separately? It doesn't work that way. And this is where we call it our, our train-like-you-play philosophy. We're going to train these three things together in a very specific sequence so that way when you go to call on them tomorrow, next week, next month, together they understand what it's like to be together and they know how to give you your highest results delivered. Wow, that is a really good point. And I, I can honestly say that... Um, that is true. A lot of times, even when we're training our children, they um, are just either doing their brain work and their body work separately. And our youngest son, he's actually been one of a, a kinetic person. He does better when he's moving, learning. And so um, putting those things together for some people can be really difficult. So that is, that is good to train, I think, because... Um, that puts everything as a whole rather than sectioning. I mean, we like to put things into little boxes and squares, but our whole entire body is one unit. We all, it, everything is speaking and communicating together. And so um, that is a good tool, I'm sure. Um, so explain to us how you use uh, sessions and how you are teaching uh, group sessions online or how, what, what's your model look like? Yeah, just the, so one thing I just wanted to bring up, Janet, quick, and, and is, is more of like the problem and the bigger problem of us not doing these three things together, right? If we look at just American statistics alone, 67% uh, of Americans are overweight or obese. 46% of Americans will suffer a mental illness in their lifetime, and over 70% of Americans can't keep a health or wellness-related um, New Year's resolution past uh, February 14th, so Valentine's Day. So this is the kind of the level of the things we're dealing with. And this is why I say, like, the current psychology model and the current fitness model don't work, well, period. absolutely, David. And that's one of the reasons we have you on this show, because you really fit what we try to do on this show. And we want to educate and empower consumers that they are in charge of their own health care. And you mentioned, uh, you know, a few paragraphs back about, you know, all the neurotransmitters that are released during exercise. And if you think about it, exercise is the best prescription medicine 
ever for depression, ever. Um, there is no better medication that is ever going to be invented or that is available now that is better for depression than exercise. Do you have any comments on that? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to put my soapbox down just for a second. Otherwise, I'll, I'll start jumping on that thing. But, yeah, Sean, you're 100% right. Uh, the latest research came out, and this supported the decades of research before this, is that um, movement, I say movement is medicine, Right that exercise is just as effective in treating mild to moderate depression as any kind of medication will be. Now, again, we, we, we say that, you know, again, there's always a caveat that if you have severe depression and you're in a place in a season and a time where you need that, yeah, there is a time for medication. Just like there's a time for Western medicine if you get your, like, your son broke his leg. Like, yeah, you don't want an Eastern doctor rubbing herbs on his leg when he needs plates in there and he needs to have, you know, his legs sewed up quick. Right, right, right. But, yeah, but for, for, for like, mild to moderate depression, literally exercise, movement is medicine, and, and, and it's literal, and it can be as little as 15 minutes. Like, I, I'm, I'm practicing some new movements right now where I'm trying to get it down to, I got it down to as little as two minutes to have a physiological change. I'm actually trying to, I got a new one that I'm trying out that's on my schedule this week to do one minute. If I can get one minute of intense movement, that we can get a physiological change in your brain to help rewire this and help you just see different. Get out of your amygdala, you know, get out of your, in your, even your basal ganglia, which is all your automatic stuff is processed, to get into your prefrontal and get you think a little bit different. Right. So, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I think movement is medicine. And, of course, you know, along with that, when on the topic of depression or, or health in general, when you talk about cardiovascular disease and things like that, um, you know, there's two other things that we can control, and that's what we eat and how we rest because that's when we get stronger, when we recover. Um, not We don't get stronger when we work out. We don't get stronger when we eat. We get stronger when we sleep and recover. So I don't know if your program talks about that also. Oh, absolutely. So sleep is my number one self-care habit. Um, you know, this is the thing that I know personally um, that affects everything in my life. It is, a, it is the cornerstone of all my habits. So, of course, yeah, we talk about our, uh, this is, we, have our we call our fundamentals, eat, eat, move, eat, move, sleep. So I love the fact that you talked about those. Those are our, our fundamentals, that if you're not doing these three things right, like nothing else is going to matter. Um, I, I battled insomnia for a few years, um, and so I, I did some really deep dives into sleep and realized how critical that is. And even now, for example, I can tell where, you know, if my amygdala starts flaring up, which for, for those of listeners, your amygdala is your fight or flight center, your reptilian brain is where all your bad negative thoughts come from, controlling thoughts, like all that kind of stuff. I know that if I'm having a bad day, like I feel a little bit off, it's most, the first thing I look to is like, hey, did you sleep enough last night? Nope. That's why you're thinking this way. All right, cool. Just let that be. Like, again, identify the problem. My problem is I'm thinking bad. Why? Because I probably didn't sleep enough last night. Okay, cool. So let's get some extra meditation in. Let's get maybe a nap in if you can. Or, or I do Vedic meditation where you can actually get a nap in while you're meditating, um, which is pretty amazing. Um, so, yeah, sleep, yeah, it, it, that is probably the number one thing that anyone can do to improve their health. I would say overall majority of people in America, in the world even, have sleep issues in some way, shape, and form. And if you want to... One, save money because it's free. You know, two, be more rested, have better relationships, more effective health, more health prognosis. You know, you want to you want to have more focus. You want to have more energy. You want to be a better person. Start sleeping and understand what like without going too far into it. Like 
understand who you are, like what your where your circadian rhythms are, you know, when you should be going to bed, when you should be waking up, you know, if you are a short sleeper or a regular sleeper, which, by the way, 2%, 3% of people are short sleepers who need like six to seven and a half hours of sleep. If you're listening to this, most likely you're not, so get your seven and a half to nine hours. Um, and, yeah, figure out which, which, you know, we talk about what animal you are um, to see, like, I'm a wolf, I'm a night person, so I go to bed around 12 to 2, 12 to 2 a.m., um, but like some people, that's not, they want to get up early. So you got to know, know, do your homework and figure that out too. Like what, when you should be getting up. Cause a lot of people just don't know. And again, that first P the problem, you don't know what problem you're trying to solve. That's right. Well, um, I prefer about 10 hours of sleep a day. That does include about a two hour nap. Amen. So I hope that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, it, dep- it depends. Are you doing a two, are you doing a full two hour nap? Uh, no, not always. But but sometimes okay. it it, it, I, it it makes me recover well, you know. I mean, I exercise anywhere from twelve to fifteen hours a week, pretty hardcore. So I do need extra rest to recover. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Like, if, if, and I would say this this is actually one of the biggest hacks that you know Silicon Valley people have known for a long time. Um, and now it's starting to like we're we're getting rid of the stigma of it being lazy of taking a nap. Um, napping is a power tool. Oh my gosh. Like I, I do like about a 10 to 15 minute one. Um, cause you want to be careful. Like, you know, you don't want to, for you, Sean, you're going into your, you're getting a full circadian rhythm or for a first circadian cycle in. So that's actually really good. A full REM cycle. Um, but for most people, you know, you want to stay away from, you know, it's either up to 30 or past an hour and a, it's up to, or an hour and a half, like anywhere between 30 and an hour and a half, you're messing up your, your REM cycle you're going to wake up and be really groggy or things like that. So just something to consider for, for a lot of you listeners is that if you either do it really short or really long. You can't go in the middle. Otherwise, you wake up and you're just like, Ugh. and we've all known that. Wake up morning in the morning, like our alarm goes off. We got brain fog. You're just a zombie for the first, like, 30, 45 minutes. Yeah, you woke up in the middle of a REM cycle. It has nothing to do with you being, you being bad sleep or having bad sleep. You just woke up in the middle of a REM cycle at the wrong time. So a lot of the stuff that we talk about is, just, is, is like, literally it's timing. A lot of it comes down to timing. Know Absolutely. when to work out. Know when to sleep. When know when to breathe. How well, to breathe. Like, yeah, and I think what and it took me years to figure this out, and it, and it depends on my training schedule too. But I think it's kind of like a diet. You got to figure out what works for you because it's very individual. So everybody's a little bit different when it comes to these things. So they got to find out what works for them. And I tell people that you know rest is so important that we will die without sleep before we'll die without food. And we do not have to exercise to live, but we do have to eat to live and sleep to live. So if you're going to pick one to, to stay um, compliant on, it would be sleep. And, David, that takes us to our next commercial break. Oh, yeah. So we are going to our, be, our, be in our third segment here shortly. Um, you're listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Be back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to our third and final segment of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. So if you missed our first two segments, we have David Michael from Cliffhanger Academy, and we are diving deep into psychology fitness today. And David, go ahead. We were talk- you were. I, I, I am so good about uh, getting on tangents with sleep and all that kind of stuff, and I appreciate you letting me do that. And um, you were talking about a little bit about your program when it comes to training, training online and group sessions and all that. Go ahead and go into that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 
with COVID hitting, we've actually pivoted to uh, a lot of different online programs, which has been great. We're just getting ready to. Uh, we just launched. We've launched our customized program uh, for one-on-one. We have uh, our mindset coaching program. Uh, we're talking. We're currently putting a subscription program together and a group coaching program as well. But this is basically bringing all the tenets of psychology and fitness together. Like I said, from my background, I got 20 plus years in both psychology and fitness at a really high level. And so what, what I've done is taken the best of psychology, the best of neuroscience, the best of fitness, and put it all into this one program so that what you're doing is essentially you're getting what we call like a five or six in one. You know, you're getting a, a I don't want to say it, but a life coach, you're getting a psychologist, you're getting a neuroscientist, you're getting an accountability coach, you're getting a personal trainer, you're getting a breath coach, you're getting a meditation coach, all in one. So instead of having to go to go see five people, six people, spending like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of you know five to ten hours a week, you get one session, seventy-five minutes for one-on-one, and you're getting all that into one uh, one package basically. Uh, and the beauty of it is that you're getting it in a way that we said that's fun. Uh, three founding principles of Cliffhanger Academy are one: we create a safe space for you mentally, uh, physically, mentally, and emotionally. We meet you wherever you are, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Uh, and then we make sure that whatever we're doing is fun. So instead of in this kind of adversarial relationship that we usually have, speaking across a couch to a psychologist, I'm side to side with you. We're rock climbing. We're, we're heading pads. We're tie boxing. Like we're doing even our group fitness classes where we have 20, 30 people per class showing up for. Um, I'm right there with you guys, working out, pushing, talking you through it. And then it, the cool part is that underneath all of this is the hard science of the psychology, of the neuroscience, the latest stuff that's out there that we're actually, you know, making sure that we drive towards towards results. And then when you leave, instead of leaving with, you know, okay, I had a great workout and what's next, or, you know, I've got my psychologist and now my brain's really all over the place, we give you an action plan with tools and tactics that you can use right now to overcome that frustration or challenge. And the way I look at it is to say, if you did these things today, you would thank yourself tomorrow for doing them. So true. Um, so you have some lofty goals, and um, one of the things that I was seeing on my notes today is that you have a goal to help a million people, but we don't have time to hear all these stories. So the one story that Sean was reminding me to ask you about was about the obese model on Cos- uh, Cosmopolitan and some of the stories that you can share that can encourage some of our listeners. Yeah, I don't know if that one would be a encouraging one, more of a controversial one. Well, um, we I'm can, all for that too. Let's let's hear it. <laughs> we we, um, we just we want truth here, David. That's what we try to try to talk about here. So, okay, so let's let's go let's go controversial first. I'm a, I'm an aggressive guy. That's why I pick all the sports that I that I pick. Um, so let's go controversial. So there was uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, a, a guy, an actor by the name of Tate Fletcher. Tate Tate's a a, a, a friend of mine. He started Caveman Coffee. He's been he's in the new Star Wars as the the Mandolin. He's in that. The guy's like a, one of these you know amazing guys. So he, the, there was a cover that came out on Cos, Cosmopolitan magazine maybe about six or twelve months ago, six to twelve months ago, where it was uh, a uh, a plus size model is what they call them, and they were like celebrating the fact that this is the first time someone who wasn't like rail thin wasn't on the the cover of Cosmo. And Tate made a comment about, like, are we really celebrating this, guys? Like, what are we doing? Like, this mo- – now, granted, I love – I'm all for, you know, loving your body, and you have to do that, and you have to accept yourself for where you are before you want to get to where you're going. 
I love all of that. That's part of our program. At the same time, you got to know that you got work to do. And that, that's, that's my biggest contention. That's, that's my vision, actually, for everyone, is one, to accept yourself for exactly where you are right now. And at the same time, know you got some work to do to get where you want to go. And guess what? That work will never end. It shouldn't end. So that means you stop growing. You stop evolving. You stop helping people around you. Um, and this, this, this Cosmo cover, you know, this woman was easily 100 pounds overweight, like okay. easily 100 pounds overweight. And they're celebrating her. And, and, and Kate started this, this discussion. I jumped in as well, and I was going, I think it's amazing that, yeah, it gives hope that you can be on the cover of Cosmo and you don't have to be real thin because guess what? I don't support that either. That's not healthy either. But when you're 100 pounds overweight, just from a medical condition standpoint, you're inching closer to death every single freaking day. And then on top of it, that, that's the physical part of it. The psychological part of it is you have eating problems because you don't have your mindset straight. Like there's something going on that you're using food as a medicine that's not supposed to be used. Right. So, yeah. I... <laughs> that's so true. So um, I'm jumping in because both Sean and I are just all over this because, um, you know, one of the, one of the stories that, that really impacted me is I had a 50-year-old woman call me um, on her deathbed. And I'm like, she was at least 600 pounds, morbidly obese, and for years I had had been giving her prescriptions and you know after a moment of realizing that hey maybe i was a part of the problem um and so that being said it's i loved her and i loved um my patients and i still love them it's just that i don't feel like i am helping them if i enable them to stay in the current situation that is going to shorten their life and their quality of life so um that being said um the story of the mom feeding her child. Um, there's a story behind that. Uh, with oh. the f- Jump in. <laughs> <laughs> you got me goosebumps on that one. So um, just to comment on what you just said, Janet, quickly, that was kind of my thing too. And this is why I feel like the psychology model is broken and the, and the fitness model is broken. The psychology model, and Grant Gantt, I have my mentors as psychologists. I've done I've done therapy. I believe in I believe in this stuff. But the fact that people are going to their therapist for five, ten, fifteen years talking about the same thing over and over again proves that their therapist is not serving them at the highest level that they can. The fact that your personal trainer is sometimes giving you most personal, a lot of personal trainers, I will say this, and I'm a certified personal trainer. Um, are giving people fads and all these kind of fad diets and magic pills and newest this and newest supplement and block newest workout. No, they don't work independently. You're just giving them the latest crap so they can get to the next step of, of giving you more money. And, and I'm not saying everyone's doing this, but like that's the problem when you separate these psychology and fitness models and don't put them together like they're supposed to be. Um, so one of my good friends had a, 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 a nonprofit. They just they rolled it into another nonprofit to basically bring nutrition to inner city kids, at-risk inner city youth based in New York City. And we got, and this is one of my good friends, James Connolly, is really intelligent, like one of the smartest guys I probably know. And one thing we we're talking about is like, you know, he's going to schools and showing kids what actual vegetables look like. Some kids had never seen a vegetable outside of a can. They're like, oh, my God, that's what a carrot looks like? Like, this is what a potato looks like? It is like, yeah, 
I'm, I'm on, I, like, we don't, like, frozos are privileged enough not to experience that. We don't even, that can't conceptualize in our brains. Like, literally, that is so far out there that's hard to understand. But what James was telling me is, like, when you think about why certain demographic children are, are, are dealing with obesity and diabetes and, and certain things at an early age, it's because they're, give, they're given the wrong food. And why are they given the wrong food? It, 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 one, is education. Education solves most issues. Um, but the second thing that I never considered is that this mom who's giving their kid a can of Coke or a small bag of Doritos isn't giving it to their child because they want them to be fat. They're giving it to their child because they love them. They're giving it to their child because that, that brings a smile to the child's face, right? They're, bring, they're giving it to the child because that's what was given to them as they were children. And now we know from a, you know, a, a biological level the reason why that smile is going across kids' faces is because he's getting built up on sugar and then also he's getting all these like, unhealthy fats and all this other kind of stuff. But like, it's not because these people are mean or ignorant or whatever. They're actually giving this food to their kids out of love. And I will say that I'm not going to curse that, but like, what the f are we doing as society? Where right. this is where we condition people through marketing and branding that right. this is okay. Freaking Coke! I know Coke did a campaign that was based around love. Right. You Ab- absolutely. Devils! Like yeah. seriously! Like what are you doing? You're 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 hitting the nail on the head, especially with this show, because what we need to do is we need to educate and empower consumers that they are in charge of their health. And I'm so glad that you were able to talk to us about this today, David. And just a little bit of um, segue onto this is that, you know, the most dangerous thing we do as Americans every day is to be overweight. You know, we talked about weight and obesity and celebrating that, but that's not that's not something to be celebrated. More people die of cardiovascular disease in this country than anything else. And what we're doing with a typical me- um, medical model, giving people high blood pressure medications, giving people high cholesterol medications to decrease cardiovascular risk, it's not working. So we've got to do something different. Okay, David, you've got about 30 seconds to sum everything up. Sorry I didn't give you much time, but how do we get a hold of you and what's your words of wisdom? Thanks, David. Yes, so uh, we are Cliffhanger Academy all over the Internet. We're the only one. Um, Psychology, fitness, what I want everyone to be thinking about is that your brain and body and breath need to be trained together to be highly effective. If you want to get to the next level, it doesn't matter if you, you know, I've helped people lose weight. I've helped people repair their marriages. I've helped people get their dream job. I've helped people quit their terrible jobs. I've helped people rewire their brain literally from a scientific level and not have to take depression medication, even though it was sitting in their cabinet waiting for her. If you continue doing the things that you're doing and subscribing to the current psychology, fitness, and medical models that we have out there, you are going to be one of these statistics that we talked about earlier. Two-thirds are going to be overweight and obese, which puts you, like, literally inches you to death. You're shaving off seven to ten years of your life by being overweight. Absolutely. And, all, and then from a, psych, from a psychology level, you, you have, you have a 50, almost a 50% chance of dealing with a mental illness Absolutely. in your lifetime. Love it, David. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch.